For the past few weeks, I, your exalted leader, alongside other top scientists and scholars in the flirting world, have been in the GGTF research labs creating the definitive guide to the history of flirting. We look back through this history to see what lessons we can learn that remain in some way relevant to today. Many snacks were consumed in this pursuit, several naps were taken, and, I sadly report, some lives were lost. But I am here to report that we are done and are presenting our findings in this, Episode 9 of the Gentleman's Guide to Flirting, The History of Flirting. We'll dive in after a quick word from our sponsor, me. everyone. Welcome to the Gentleman's Guide to Flirting. I am David, the author of the book of the same name, Gentleman's Guide to Flirting, available on Amazon.com. I am also your host and the exalted leader of the Gentleman's Guide to Flirting empire. You will be able to find this content on YouTube or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thank you for joining. Let's get started. Welcome back, everyone. This is episode nine of the Gentleman's Guide to Flirting. On a somber note, as the owner of the Gentleman's Guide to Flirting, and as the exalted leader of the Gentleman's Guide to Flirting global movement, which has taken the world by storm, I need to tell you both the good and the bad out of transparency. As I mentioned in the introduction, we had an entirely fault-free, multiple casualty event in the preparation of this episode. Now, I'll spare you the details, but I'll commit to this here and now. I lead from the front. No longer, no longer will the GGTF Travel Department book our overseas scholars who are coming from every corner of the globe so that we can all benefit from their expertise. No longer are they to be booked on our fleet of GGTF self-driving autogyros to attend our research lab special events. I forbid it going forward. Spare no expense. They'll fly commercial from this point forward. Hey, Hey, Jenna, uh, hey, pause that, pause that a second, yeah. Uh, make sure you cut this out before posting up on YouTube and the podcast, okay? Uh, to be clear, you know, company policy remains discount airlines only at off-peak hours, and they stay four to a room in the bunker. Hmm? Yeah, four. Four to a bed, two beds, uh, two beds per room. Uh, ladies get their own room, of course. Uh, don't. Uh, don't don't put that don't put that in the invitation offers. Uh, just keep putting the four to five star hotel language bo- boilerplate stuff. Yeah, uh, so cut this part out, okay? Up to here, up to here on the audio. All right, uh, go ahead and turn the recording back on, please. Let's have a moment of silence for those no longer with us in the flirting research community. Our thoughts are with our family and friends. We dedicate this episode to their memory, so let's make it a great one. When you look back over the history of flirting, it is interesting, and it is complicated. Before we do that, let's take a look at where we are now. Consider this. Is what is normal, common, and socially acceptable for flirting the same all over the world today? Can you travel to just any country and strike up a conversation with any adult woman that you see on the street, even if she is completely single and open and receptive to it? 
The answer to that question is no. In some religions, or entire countries, it is mostly forbidden to speak to adult women who aren't in your family. For example, in the more strict Islamic countries, neither you as a visitor nor the local men are allowed to talk to women who aren't in your family, at least not for what Westerners think of as casual flirting. Doing so is a huge problem in those places. For example, when I was in my 20, early 20s, I worked in Saudi Arabia for a year as a contractor, and I worked near a, a beautiful city on the west coast of Saudi Arabia named Jeddah. And when I was not working, I would love to go to the city to go shopping and just take a look around and soak up some of the culture and just meet people and socialize. And being a single guy, uh, you know, I, I would say hello to the ladies, even though I was very acutely aware of where I was. And I, I got to tell you, there were some pretty eyes looking back at you and giggling from behind those veils, but still it totally wasn't acceptable to just flirt like you can uh, kind of casually here where I live in the United States. Uh, now, in most Western countries, flirting is generally fine, but you shouldn't be aggressive about it. And even across the various countries and regions in the West, what is, quote, fine and socially acceptable depends on where you are at. In some parts of Southern Europe, men more aggressively flirt. In other parts of Europe, more restraint might be the norm. Different parts of Asia and Africa have their own unique cultural norms around what is acceptable. So, how did we get here? Why are the norms for flirting and meeting women so varied around the world? Let's go way, way back in time. In caveman times, do you think there was much flirting going on? If a caveman was wandering around the tundra or jungle or wherever they hung out and saw a new woman that he liked, I imagine there was nothing, to put it politely, subtle at all about the approach. Maybe she or her family or her existing mate had to fight to protect her. There were no rules of behavior whatsoever. Since men have typically always been physically larger and stronger than women, back then it must have been especially dangerous for women and girls to be alone and undefended. And it remained dangerous for many thousands of years. I imagine the situation and danger to women only decreased as humans started organizing in single and multifamily tribes and later permanent encampments and settlements over thousands of years. Only then they started forming customs, rules, social norms, and eventually laws to cut down on the conflict, injustices, suffering, and violence. So how do we go from the chaos of prehistory to where we are today? Today sounds, and is, much better. Let's look at some examples. There isn't much that has been preserved over time to tell us how things were exactly, but we do have some things that have survived. For example, from ancient Rome, we have the Ars Amatoria. Ars Amatoria translates to English as the Art of Love, and was written by a Roman poet named Ovid, O-V-I-D, Ovid. This work was written a little over 2,000 years ago and consists of three books. Uh, book one shows how a man uh, can find a woman, how to go about that. In book two, the poet Ovid shows the man how to keep her. 
The third book, written two years after the first two books were published, gives women advice on how to win and keep the love of a man. So it's the other way around. In books one and two, Ovid gives some practical advice that sounds reasonable even today. Uh, for example, there's uh, advice about not forgetting her birthday. Uh, there's some. There's a section about like letting her miss you, but not for long. And uh, some advice that apl that applies even interestingly as well today as it did back then about not asking about her age. Uh, there's another piece too, like where do you meet women? Where would you go in Roman society? According to Ovid, the, uh, the theater is a good place to meet women. How was Ovid's uh, work, how was his art received in his own time? Well, by all accounts, it, it, it was met with a mixed reception. There was, it, the ancient Rome wasn't the wild and woolly place full of orgies and you know craziness that we may think it was. There was a, there was a, you know, there was a, you know, depending on the emperors and how the the leaders of the particular period set the tone, sometimes there was a, really, really a push for morality and good behavior and having a family orientation and not just being wild and reckless and uh, a party person. In fact, looking past Roman times up to and including uh, the, the second half of the 11th century, the Ars Amatoria was included in the curriculum of medieval schools. So you're looking at, that was, uh, that's, that's quite a stretch there. That's a period of over a thousand years. And that continued on for another two centuries uh, in some parts of Europe. In particular in Germany, uh, there was quite a influence uh, from the writings of Ovid on uh, people, contemporaries in the 12th and 13th century. In fact, uh, some historical scholars have called that period of time the Ovidian Epoch. Since then, and late in centuries after that, um, Europe became more uh, kind of religious and conservative, and a work as liberal as Ovid's Ars Amatoria didn't fit in well. So in later centuries, it, it was banned and burned in some parts of Europe. Next, let's take a look at another example from roughly the same time frame as Ovid's work, but from a different part of the world, India. I'm talking about the Kama Sutra. Uh, the Kama Sutra was written in the third century, which makes it a little over 1,800 years old. I used to think the Kama Sutra was basically a book about sexual positions, but that was just my own ignorance. Instead, it includes advice about meeting people and flirting, uh, relationships, marriage, and family that give interesting insights into Indian culture back then. And some of the material is still an integral component of Indian culture, Hindu culture today, and is quite interesting. So let's take a look at a couple examples. For example, the Kama Sutra has a suggestion for a kind of a party game where a young man who is trying to attract a woman should hold the party. And the game involves uh, inviting the guests to recite poetry, but there there's a, the, the poems are pre-constructed with parts missing. And the fun component of it is to get people to socialize and interact. The guests should are asked to complete uh, the, the poem creatively. So that sounds like fun, even now. 
another example from the Kama Sutra suggests that uh, a man and a woman could go, uh, you know, on a swim date. You know, take a take a you know go for a swim in a river or a lake. The suggestion is that the guy should dive in the water away from the woman that he's interested in, and then swim underwater in, in close proximity to her. Then pop out of the water, surprise her, you know, touch her a little bit playfully, and then dive again away from her. Whether you rec- agree with those recommendations or not, uh, at least they try to give some practical advice, and frankly, they do sound fun. I've seen exact that same trick used at the beach by guys who are trying to flirt with ladies in the in the waves uh, same ex- same exact approach is interesting it's uh, at least over you know 2000 years old the, the kama sutra also includes a section in book 3 that is um, more focused on on courtship and marriage and how to go about that how to get on a path to a good marriage it is highly recommended because it'll en- help enrich your life by um allowing you to have more friends for both parties, uh, more relatives, your know, offspring, sexual relationships, and uh, generally be good for wellness and your mental health, etc. Uh, the first three chapters of book three you know, are specifically describing how a man should go about finding not just any woman, but the right woman for him, the right candidate for a wife. The fourth chapter covers the situation from the woman's side, gives advice on how she should go about finding a man that she wants to be married to, that she wants to spend her life with. That's that's interesting. I think it's fantastic out of an ancient text. The Kama Sutra continues on with more practical advice. Uh, the Kama Sutra suggests involving your friends and relatives in the search. That's something that's not very common in the West as far as I know. It also suggests meeting the friends and the family members, the relatives of the potential wife or husband uh, prior to the marriage. The Kama Sutra also recommends that um, people should involve their friends and their family and other relatives in their search and goes on to recommend that meeting the current friends and relatives and family members of the of the potential mate, the bride or the girlfriend, prior to marriage. Uh, That's interesting. That's a very interesting uh, proposition there. I believe uh, that still goes on today in India, and I think it's interesting that it does, and I'm sure it works out out well for millions of people. For example, one of my close friends from, gosh, more than 10 years ago... um, that's what he did. His uh, he, he told me the way it works for, for some folks is there are websites that are set up in India, very credible, legitimate websites where people who are of a mind where they want to get married, they go sign up for the website and put their information in there. And the families are involved in screening, you know, looking at those websites, scouring through there to find the best potential, in his case, you know, best potential woman, w- women that they could find all over India that uh, they thought were right for their, for their beloved family member. So what happened was eventually there, he found, I think it was four c- candidates that his family approved of, and he went back, he was working with me in the, in the, in the United States, and he went back to India, it took about a month, and he and he and his family, they traveled to i think it was four different states in india so some significant travel there to meet each of the uh ladies and 
and their families. So uh, eventually he picked one, married her, and it worked out just fantastically. Now, I, after that experience, I, I uh, thought that that was like just normal for every Indian person. But I have another friend, a lady named Priya. Uh, and she smartened me up and told me that that's not true of everybody there. She's Hindu as well. And she met her husband, her now husband, uh, the old fashioned way, just, you know, the, through normal social contact, she met somebody that she liked and they dated for like a long time. And eventually he proposed and she was delighted and it worked out really well. And they got two beautiful kids now. So Indian culture is not just one thing. There's a lot of people that think a lot of different ways. Some, some of the, some of the approaches are based in ancient practices and some are more contemporary and that's just fine. So let's bring the conversation back to the West. What do the major Western religions have to offer for advice for flirting and dating and starting relationships with the opposite sex in a very high quality way? So I, as part of preparing for this episode, I researched the major three. I took a look at Islam, Judaism, and the Christian Bible. So starting with Islam, I found nothing there. So, and I think the reason for that is the Quran and the supporting sacred texts for Islam are predicated off because it's just common knowledge that men aren't allowed to socialize with, to talk to, to flirt with uh, women like we're kind of accustomed to in the West. Specifically, you're not allowed to interact with women who are outside of your family with ex there's some there's some very 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 specific exceptions there but generally you're not allowed to go up to a, a woman who's not in your, a family member on the street and to strike up a conversation with her so what about judaism it's uh i'll research that and basically it's the same as islam uh, jewish law restricts uh, Jewish people from most forms of physical contact with members of the opposite sex who are not closely related, who are not family. So I'm thinking that both Judaism and Islam are similar and that front is exactly right. So how about the Christian Bible? Uh, I found no specific mention or direct guidance for flirting in the Bible at all. No passages whatsoever in any book of the Bible. The, the sense that I came away with is that these major religions kind of assume that if you are a follower, a faithful adherent to their teachings and practices, that finding a good woman for you will just naturally happen. If she's a good Christian or a good Muslim or a good uh, Jewish person, and so are you, then you are kind of just like naturally find mates, you know, people that are suitable candidates for you for marriage. I'm sure that works for a lot of people on earth, but I think that there's also millions where that, um, that leaving that to chance is not working out for them because I've got to ask, and I say this from the point of view of being a, a Westerner and an American, why are the divorce rates so high if doing things naturally in the right way just kind of magically means you'll find the right person that, that you can stay married to for the long haul? May I ask it another way? If marriages were renewable, meaning that they automatically expired, if not renewed, say every five years in your country, think about that. Would married couples tend to stay together the way they are meeting now? Like if, if marriages were only good for five years and you had to, you know, like renew them periodically if you want to stay married to somebody forever. The way people are, are meeting right now, do you think your divorce rate in your country would go up or down if the marriages were term limited? What about the current day? 
Have we achieved perfection now? Nope. Creepiness, safety concerns. Women have learned over thousands of generations to be on guard and for good reason. Things are better. Societies worldwide have laws, customs, and social norms that have improved the situation, but a woman's personal safety remains very much a concern. To be successful in meeting women, you need to understand that at a deep and intuitive level. To help you do that, we have rules in the book to govern conduct and help you with your decision making. We also have a whole section in part one about creepiness and a woman's sense of personal safety. So, to wrap it up, civilization has gone almost 1,000 years without an authoritative and updated guide to flirting. Billions of people are crying out for help. Your hero hears you. The book is due out in November of 2020 on Amazon.com. I'll announce it through all social media channels, YouTube, and the podcast when it is available for sale. Take care now.